come on a journey with a cinephile. to episode number 25 of Journey with a Cinephile, a horror movie podcast. As always, your tour guide, David Garrett Jr., recording out of Columbus, Ohio, and back again here for doing something a little bit different. Now, if you followed any of my shows, you would know that episode number nine was my year-end list for 2019, and that this year I have been doing what I can what I call the Centennial Club as well as I have been doing the journey through the aughts now where I wanted to do something a little bit different and special here for episode number 25 where I'm going to actually do my top films from 1920 and 1930. Now the reason I'm combining these two years together is the fact that I can only find six films from 1920 and then I can only find one from 1930 that I was able to watch but there was five films from 1920 that are considered lost or there was no way that I could actually watch them and then on top of that there were three from 1930 that were in the same boat so what I decided to do is take that one film from 1930 and then add it to this list here and then I'm actually going to here just in a second start to recap some of the films that I was unable to see and kind of my thoughts about what intrigued me about it and then from there I will also get into you know that top list but I think what I'm going to go ahead and do first though actually is going to be to give you films number seven and then six as well as go to those ones that will be recapped that I could not get my hands on and then I'll do my top five films for this list here before you know I close out everything here but to start off with I think what I'm gonna go ahead and do is is my number seven film on this list is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde this is the J. Charles Hayden version where I was confused at first because there was two films that came out in the same year with that are on the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story but this is the one where Sheldon Lewis actually portrays both Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I didn't hate this one. I thought it was an interesting take on the source material. And there are some different things done here that I could appreciate. I do think that it was missing a bit to really put it all and bring it together. It wasn't boring, which was good. I thought the acting worked for what they needed. I think Lewis is a little bit inferior to the other performance from this year, but I still thought he was solid. The soundtrack wasn't great, but I thought it fit for the movie. I just don't necessarily know if this is, and I'll say this for all of these, I don't necessarily know if this is the soundtrack that is synced up and supposed to be with it. I just felt that this one really didn't 
kind of convey the emotion of the scenes as best as it could have. Of course, not the best version of this story. I've seen much better than this one. I still thought this was above average in my opinion. I do unfortunately though think that because of all of the films that I saw this year, this was the weakest. I mean, it's still coming in in that seventh position. So no, no slight to it. I mean, technically it's still in the top 10 just for that reason there. But that's where I came in with that movie. And then the sixth film on my list is The Bat Whispers, the only movie from 1930 that I could find. This is based off of a stage play where a master criminal terrorizes the occupants of an isolated country mansion. This was another one I never really heard about until I was looking for movies from this year. I actually had to watch this on YouTube because there wasn't any copies that I could purchase out there. And it wasn't streaming anywhere, so I was kind of hamstrung to have to watch it that way. I wouldn't be surprised if it's also in public domain because there were quite a few different streams of it. I thought this was an interesting little story here, though, where we have the criminal who's named the Bat. And this really just kind of feels like those stage plays that are adapted to the screen where... You have all these characters in a big dark house and they're trying to figure out what is going on here. So there's a lot of little moving parts to it that I thought were pretty cool. This is also the first talking film that I did from this early era. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I actually put this, you know, at number six over that version of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde just for the reason that this is the supposedly the basis that Bob Kane had for creating the Batman mythology and story for the comic book and everything like that i mean it's really just splitting hairs because i actually came in with a 7 out of 10 as well i just thought there was a little bit better of a concept and how everything plays out here i did have some slight issues where i couldn't tell some of the characters apart just because they all look so very similar and i mean this for the males i did really like though that we had a strong woman character in the form of miss cornelia van groter who is gracie hampton thought there was just an interesting story here i didn't guess who the bat was until the end i thought that was a pretty interesting reveal there with that character just thought it was an interesting little movie i thought it was above average overall so i came in with a 7 out of 10 like i said with this one as well so it gets that slight nod over dr jekyll and mr hyde from this year 1920 but what i'm gonna go ahead and do those are the six and seven position there I'm going to kick you over to a musical break before I get into the ones that didn't make my list because they are lost. So I'll kind of go through and recap just some of the things that I found interesting about those ones before I get back into the top five from 1920 and 1930. Talk to you shortly.
And I've got a cat, and I've got a cozy little sweet little rosy little place for your hat. Gee, but I'd like to make you happy. And I've got a ring, just look at it shine. And I know a finger where the spring ought to linger. Won't you say you'll be mine? Gee, but I'd like to make you happy. You know I like to do what you like to do. Our love will be so strong. Anything that you say, you'll get your way. That's why we'll always get along. I'll live for you, and you'll live for me. We'll share joy and pain together, laugh at the rainy weather if you'll agree. Gee, but I'd like to make you happy. Welcome back. That song I just played there was when I typed in the top songs from 1930. That was Fred Waring's Pennsylvanians. Gee, I'd like to make you happy. Never heard of it in my life, but I thought I would, you know, keep with the times that we are discussing here. Now, on to some of the lost films that appeared on a list but of course you know since they're not able to be seen the top one that really struck me was the head of Giannis which when I did a little bit of research into this it seems like this was a film from F.W. Marneau who gave us Nosferatu and this is a another adaptation of the Robert Louis Stevenson novel of The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and it starred Conrad Viet, who was also in The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, as well as a young Bella Lugosi. It's crazy that there were three movies over the same story in the same exact year. So it's a shame that this one is a lost film. And I'm almost wondering, because all the names are changed, I'm wondering if Marnot did not have the rights to this as well like he did with Nosferatu, where he just changed the names and because he couldn't get the access to actually use the true story or not does appear that this is the last silent version of the Dr. and Jekyll, Mr. Hyde story. You can see a bunch of images from this in a book entitled Conrad Viet on Screen by John T. Soyster. This came out in 2002, but this is probably the top one that I'm kind of bummed that I cannot see because it does sound pretty interesting with that director as well as a star in it. And I mean, using this classic tale as the basis from it. And the next film is Nachtgestalten, which this is another German film that came from Richard Oswald. And it looks like it's based off of a novel from Karl Hans Strobel. And the title looks like it's The Illegible Cooperus. And the synopsis that is listed on IMDb is Thomas Bizung, the richest man in the world, is a solitary, domineering, 
and cruel cripple who can hardly move on his crutches. He dwells in a, a fanatical love of, for his son, whom he holds like a monkey in a cage. Now, this is another one that is considered to be a lost film, of course, you know, being on this list that I have here. But this actually stars Paul Wagoner, who I do know was in the Gollum. And I believe he also directed that. So it's pretty interesting to see that as well. And I also was looking this up, see that Conrad Viet also was in this, credited as, as Clown. I don't really know a whole lot about this. I do know that it does look like it probably was a ghost film. Now, the poster that they have on IMDb for it looks pretty cool and quite creepy. So I'm not really sure a whole lot about this one. But it does sound pretty interesting when I can see, you know, some of the players that are involved with it are ones that I have seen and am a fan of for the most part. And then the next one is The Dark Mirror, which this looks like it's also based off of a novel from Louis Joseph Vance. There's not really a whole lot listed on IMDb about this one, except it does appear that some of the plot keywords for it are parentage extrasensory perception twins as well as ghost now these all do sound pretty interesting and i know this only runs 50 minutes so this is an early paramount picture that did not run very long don't really recognize anybody who starred in it or any of the people that wrote or directed it so this is one that i mean if i could have watched i definitely would have but there's not a whole lot of information about it, so I'm wondering if it didn't do all of that well because there is so much limited about it. But that's really all I can say about that one. And then up next is a British film called The Face at the Window. This also looks like it is based off of a play. And the synopsis actually sounds quite interesting as a killer distracts his victims with a hideous face peering through the window but is identified by a revived corpse i don't really know what that all entails but that synopsis has me intrigued so i am bummed that this is a lost film and this was listed as a crime mystery but like i said with that type of synopsis i definitely think that it could be pretty dark with where some places i have are crediting this as a horror film as well and then the last one from 1920 is Der Graf von Cagliostro, which I do believe translates to the Count of Cagliostro. Now, this is one that is from Austria. It does have Conrad Viet in it as well. And it also does look like that it has Hildy Warner as well as Reinhold Schnutzel, who plays Cagliostro also wrote and directed this not really any sort of synopsis or anything like that but it does look like there's hypnotism in this and that there could also be some other adaptations of this story not really sure offhand though but that's just kind of what i'm gathering from the things that i'm looking at then shifting over to the 1930s there is the cat creeps this is actually a universal film, which I'm surprised that this one is lost. It looks like the synopsis is disappearances and strange going-ons in a spooky old mansion. This is another one that is based off of a play where actually John Willard, who wrote the play, also co-directed this with Rupert Julian. I don't really recognize any of the people that were in it, but I do know that there is a 1946 remake, so I do believe that because of this probably not doing all that well that they had to do a remake and this looks like it's a remake itself 
this is listed as a psychotronic film again mansion is one of the keywords as well as old dark house so it does feel a lot like the movie that i referred to earlier the bat whispers where you get a bunch of characters and it probably did feel like it was being filmed on a stage this one does have some trivia as one of the funny ones is that this film is presumed lost, so please check your attic. Although the film itself is lost, a few clips survive as part of a 1932 short boo. There are four sound discs for this film survive in the UCLA Film and Television Archives. And then another thing interesting, and I'm actually going to shift over to talk about this movie in a minute, is Universal Studio boss Carl Lamel thought the Spanish version to be superior and spookier than this English language one, which... The Spanish version is La Volta del Muerto, which is translated to be The Will of the Dead Man, as this is also based off the same play. This is something else that Universal and Lamel would do, where they had Dracula from, I believe, the next year was filmed during the day, like the Bela Lugosi version. And then at night, they would film the spanish version and there's many people who believe that the spanish one is superior to the bella lugosi one and much like that one they would use the same sets and they shot this though at the same exact time which i'm wondering if that means in the morning they would do one and night the other the assignment for directing duties for this film was to george melford that was announced on july 19th of that year and much like its english version this one of course is presumed lost being that it is on this list here and our last one here is going to be, the English title is Wailing in the Hollow Valley, but it took me a minute to look this up on IMDb, but it is listed as the direct translation, as this is a Chinese film, is Kongu Yuan Zhang, where the synopsis looks like a mad scientist dresses up as a gorilla to kidnap young girls so he can use their brains to produce the elixir of life. This is another one that it looks like it is considered lost for the fact that Outside of Chinese-speaking communities, even those that had access to the Cinematech circuit, it's hard enough to get anything in the silent Chinese era. So, and it looks like the director Max Weibang, Weibang or Mazu Weibang, depending on kind of how the names are. This is actually kind of more of like a trashy Chinese action flick. But it does sound like it has some interesting set pieces from those who have actually got to see this. Even though there's some bad effects like a plaster mold cave with rat snakes and devil apes. Things like that nature. This would be one that I would definitely wish I could see just to see how wild it was. And to see what cinema is like over there. Because I know during these, during the 20s, it was really dominated by German cinema, which was kind of the pinnacle and it is around the 30s here where we kind of shift over to the americans especially with like universal and things to that effect start to really take over but those are all of the lost films that i was able to look up and kind of figure out a little bit about to share with you here but what i'm gonna do is send you over to one more musical break before i get into those top five films from 1920 
everyone. That song there was from 1920, and it was Carl Fenton's orchestra performing Cuban Moon. So to get into the meat of this episode here is going to be the top five movies. They're all going to be from 1920, since the only 1930 film was in the sixth position. But number five, I have The Penalty. This comes from a play from Governor Morris, which is quite a weird name, but I digress. This stars Lon Chaney. And the reason that I put it at this fifth position here is that it is a little bit light on the horror aspects, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, but I still thought it was an above average movie where if you want to hear the review, this one is featured on episode 22. But this just has a weird aspect to it where we have a boy who gets in an accident and then loses his legs that are amputated in error by a doctor. And he grows up, the boy does, to be a criminal mastermind and is coming up with a way where he's going to become the de facto king of San Francisco. And in the turn of this, though, he's also going to punish the doctor that did what he did to him as well as to use his daughter in that revenge that he is trying to get. I mean, I do think that this is a little bit problematic that I understand that he's mad at the doctor and I don't like that the doctor gets away with what he does, which is, I mean, it's malpractice. But my issue, though, is that I just don't know if you can really hold a grudge this long. And the things that he ends up doing are very horrible. Now, there is a reveal at the end that I thought was a little bit convenient to everything here. So that's partially why it falls where it does. It's still an enjoyable movie. The copy that I watched, I believe, was on YouTube. wasn't the, in the greatest shape. But I do think that they have some interesting aspects here. There's Barbara, who is the daughter of the doctor, where she is wants to be a sculptor as her career, but her fiancé as well as her father don't think that'll ever happen and that she really just needs to have her womanly duties and get married. But I do like that Blizzard, who is Chaney, comes to her and allows her to create the sculpture of Satan after the fall. And with all the rage that he is harboring, it is the basis for that, but I mean, he also does cheat for he's the only one that comes in to be a model for that. There's some interesting stuff here with a lady detective. So this film is pretty ahead of its time, if you ask me, for being from 1920 and having women in powerful positions like we do here. I thought the acting, I mean, when you have Chaney, who is just amazing as the villain and just what he can do with his facial expressions, especially without the use of sound to help him, I thought the acting other than that was pretty solid. But this one I thought was, you know, not the greatest, but it was pretty interesting. And there's some interesting aspects of the story, just not the greatest. So my rating here came in at a 7.5, which is why it falls at this number five position. And then coming in at my fourth position is going to be Genuine, The Tragedy of a Vampire. So this is the first of three films in this top five that are from Germany as the German Expressionism movement really just dominated this era for me, as well as just cinema in general. Now in this one, I don't necessarily know why they call it a vampire. Again, we have another powerful woman here in the vein of Genuine, who we end up learning about is through a myth of a powerful woman who her people were taken over. But this all turns out to not necessarily be the case and this is just a way that it does play out but with her i almost feel like the thought of her being a vampire is more of the fact that she's a powerful woman she's being held captive against her will 
and she's trying to use her sexuality as a weapon to get herself free, which I can definitely give a lot of props to them actually using this as a story. This one kind of seems like one of the rare ones in this era as well, where it doesn't come from a play or a novel. So that was pretty cool to me. If anything, I would say she's actually more of a witch as she was in charge of some primitive people that were pagans and then her people were taken over. So then she was taken into slavery where she is then purchased. I don't necessarily see anything in here where she's actually a vampire outside of the fact that I guess she could be considered as one that sucks energy from people, not necessarily, you know, blood because we never actually get to see that. But we do get to see a couple different characters who are driven mad after spending time with her. Now, again, I don't know if this is just because she is so beautiful and then cuts them off that they just can't handle it. I mean, this film, as I'm saying, though, does a really good job at showing some weak masculinity here where it almost borderlines on with how they react to things in the end as being somewhat toxic. So like I said, this is interesting that a movie could come out, you know, 100 years ago and still have some cultural relevance that we get to see here. So that's something that I can always, you know, get down and get behind. Again, not the greatest film. I actually had to watch this twice as the DVD I purchased only had a abbreviated cut that was like 40 45 minutes or something like that and then i end up finding on youtube which had no soundtrack synced up to it that was the full version now the full version did answer some of the questions and issues that i had so i'm very thankful for that the problem is that it's still just i had so many a little bit of problems kind of thing with it not enough to ruin it as i mean this is coming in at my fourth position on this list here but definitely isn't as good as the next three that I'm going to delve into. So that's really all I wanted to kind of cover for this film here as it technically is tied with the penalty as they both have a score of 7.5. I give the nod to this one having more of the horror elements in it for sure. And I do think that this, even though I think it is missing some things and with how things play out in the end, I still find this though to be a good movie. And this one actually, as I'm thinking about it, was directed by Robert Venny. And that's a name that I know has popped up quite a bit for some of the things that I've looked at during this era. And it was also written by Carl Mayer. But that is all I wanted to talk about for Genuine. And then coming in at number three is the only film in the top three, of course, that is from the United States. And this will be the final time that I talk about a movie based on this novel on this podcast at this time can't make any promises for any of the ones going forward after this but this is of course dr jekyll and mr hyde this is the one that was directed by john s robertson of course based off the robert louis stevenson novel of you know the strange case of dr jekyll and mr hyde this one of course stars john barrymore who is from what i remember is the grandfather to drew barrymore as he was a stage actor from what i've gathered and this was one of his first forays into film and, you know, without him here, we probably don't have that important family there, especially with how famous Drew became. And I mean, with her as well, she was a staple of the horror movie genre at different times in her career. But this one I do find to be superior to the other one that I spoke about that didn't make the top five. I think part of that is the fact that, much like the story itself, we're really delving into the good and dark side of man, where... Dr. Jekyll, who is portrayed by Barrymore in this, does an excellent job. I always have to give credit to the acting in films like this, just for the fact that you don't have the sound to convey emotion and everything. 
So you do really have to go over the top. I think that the look of Mr. Hyde in this one is superior as well. I do like that they kind of delve into science, but they don't go too far. And I appreciate that. I mean, it's early cinema, so they really couldn't do a whole lot there. And what I like about this movie is that they're really delving into the removal of free will. And that Dr. Jekyll's experiment in this version is to make it where we get rid of the evil side, but instead it ends up coming out. And I mean, this is something that is been explored i mean even today i mean one of my favorite movies of all time is a clockwork orange and this is also delving into a very similar topic not necessarily in the fact of you know giving them a serum where it would just remove it completely but i mean you are using conditioning and things to that effect there i do think that the transformation is done in there where i believe from what i remember there is actually a transformation in it one of the big things that held me back is i would like to actually see this movie like this version of it with a different soundtrack is the one that's on my DVD is a bit repetitive. And I don't really know if it was because they don't really know what was synced up with it that they just started playing a song where it would go on and have a different feel from the scenes that it's moving into. Again, I know I shouldn't blame a movie for that, but I have to kind of treat this the same way I will films that are coming out today. If I'm gonna, you know, have these movies that are gonna compete with movies that are on my list in general. But that's really all I wanted to kind of delve into that. Again, this is actually, I didn't want to play my hand too early, but we actually had a three-way tie on my list where all three of these movies here were all at a 7.5. I had to give this one the nod to put it at three because I felt with the other two that, of course, the penalty was lacking a little bit in the horror elements where this one has those. And then on top of that for here, I think that this is just... A more fleshed out movie in general than what genuine is not to say i don't like it i mean i actually think that genuine does a much better with the social commentary which is a big thing for me but that's really i wanted to delve into here so i don't remember if i said it or not but this is a 7.5 as well so to get into my top two movies all right and number two is the golem now this one is one that i put off watching for quite a while and it wasn't until this that I finally got around to it. I remember first hearing about this though when I was in film class and we, you know, had textbooks and that's where I first read about this film. It always intrigued me. I just had never gotten around to it as I've been saying. And I actually thought this is a pretty good film for what we're, you know, what we're seeing. And I mean this across the board for comparing it to even films that are made today, in my opinion. I do think it is problematic still. Again, this is another one from Germany. This one I brought up earlier is that Paul Wegener had directed and wrote this as well as stars in it as the Gollum himself. But on top of that, while he was filming another one in Prague, he had learned about the Jewish faith's idea of this creature that they would create in order to help and save them whenever their people were in peril, which I find to just be pretty interesting and quite fascinating just in general. So for that fact, I definitely enjoy that this is another one that isn't based off of anything except Jewish mythology. The only problem that I have here is I feel that this film is somewhat racist in, I mean, they're pretty much saying that these Jewish people are committing black magic and that they actually are committing black magic from the things that we're getting to see here. And then, but I still like how they kind of play everything out with the story in this one, despite, you know, my issues with how they're portraying the faith of these people. I have brought it up a few different times on some different things. I love that they use the demon Astaroth, that it gives them the word that they need to bring the golem to life. And then, so that's what they're using here. I thought the look of the golem was quite interesting as 
from a distance you get to see it at times where it does look like it is made out of clay and how the guy how wagner moves really does come off like very you know rock and hard to move like on top of that i do like what they're doing here where they're trying to protect their people from losing their little part of the town that they have so that's why they're creating this thing the problem though is that is toxic masculinity is what ends up having this creature as it runs amok as one big issue with it is that you can't use it for too long as it becomes unruly and then we have the rabbi's daughter is actually seeing somebody that is technically forbidden to her and there's a guy in the town who is upset that she is doing that so that's kind of what leads to the downfall and then i also brought up self-fulfilling prophecies in my review of this like do we actually know that they're actually going to lose their city and their area or is it the things they're doing is what the prophecy actually means we don't actually get that explored there but just something that i pose as an interesting little question there i haven't read a whole lot upon this movie so i don't know if this is something that other people have brought up but in my interpretations of it this is definitely something that struck me now for this one of course coming in at second it came in with an 8.5 rating for me so that is good enough you know to put it in this second position here and I have to say there is a on Amazon a version where they actually have actors speaking out the lines and everything like that so that is one of the things that I kind of want to check out but I didn't feel my first time should be that way I should watch it in the way that it was you know filmed and intended and everything I did think the soundtrack that was coupled with it was pretty good again hard to kind of gauge sometimes but what they did have on the version I watched is I believe I watched it on YouTube but that is all I really wanted to say on this one so without further ado let me get to that and it shouldn't be too hard to figure out what my number one film for this year is as this one actually ranks up in my top films of all time regardless of year or anything like that and it's the cabinet of Dr. Caligari this one a name that of course has popped up a few times Robert Venney as well as Carl Mayer and Conrad Viet they are all in this together with Robert is the director, Carl co-wrote this, and Conrad is one of the stars of this movie. But this one is just absolutely amazing. It does have something that when it happens in film nowadays, I don't really care for. But the fact that they could do this here so much earlier than when film is pretty much in its infancy at this time still was pretty amazing to me and i think the whole concept of the story is pretty interesting where we have dr caligari who has a attraction he wants to show at the fair where he has a somnambulist named cesare who he is able to wake up and have him go out and commit murders i don't necessarily know if i believe that it could actually happen like that but still is something that is just interesting and not really something you necessarily see even nowadays and i find that to be quite interesting again this one is also from germany isn't based off of anything like that and another thing i would like to actually do is to look into is the fact to see if there is some sort of like german folklore or is this some sort of story that was passed around around this era or if this is just something they literally just came up with and if that's the case that's pretty amazing to me i originally saw this one in college didn't really care for it and then i've watched it probably four or five times since then and i'm just a huge fan of it actually got to see it at the Gateway Film Center when they were showing their Horror 101 series as this one was shown. Not sure if I said it, but this is from Germany. Of course, if you're doing the math on what I had said earlier. Another example of German expressionism, which is just such an interesting thing. And I mean, it 
has been influencing things that are pretty amazing like Tim Burton wouldn't be who Tim Burton is today. He might not even be a director if he hadn't saw films like this. He definitely probably would not have had the style that he has on his movies. Getting back to this film, I love that the backgrounds are just matte finishes where the city and just how things look are just distorted. We get a little bit of genuine, but not nearly as much. And I mean, really, there's just inside of the house that genuine is being kept in is where you get to see the different things there. I do believe that the Gollum kind of falls into German Expressionism, but again, there's not a whole lot of things that actually display this type of the film movement as much as you get with this one here. Now, the Gollum does have some interesting film techniques, especially for early cinema, but then again, here we get to see, as well as that other one, use of different filters to convey things where, at the time, I can see why Germany was much better at the industry than we were at that time just because of what they were doing with their you know filming and everything like that just different techniques that they were using and their storytelling was just much better back then now a lot of this though is because of the depression that happened after world war one with them where they were defeated and their country was just really on the brink of it it's just struggling to get back onto its feet and it's actually kind of interesting is my DVD of the, the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari actually has a documentary that is saying how German Expressionism actually foretells the rise of Hitler in their country. And I don't necessarily think that they're necessarily predicting it, that Hitler would rise and the things that he would do. I think it's more of that they were ripe for a leader kind of like him to take power because of what they had been devastated by and things like that. Now, I really don't want to keep blathering on too much longer. Now, my rating here on this film is a 10 out of 10. Like I said, this one is literally in my, without really doing the math or kind of looking at things, this one's definitely in my top 10. It might even be in my top five movies of all time. I would have to really look at it to kind of confirm that, but it is definitely up there as one of my favorite films and is definitely my favorite silent era film of all of the ones. Um, I know Nosferatu around this time definitely is up there as a contender as well. But if you wanna hear more about this or any of these other films, they are on previous episodes. I mean, really the only time that I kind of cut away from doing ones like this is I did do that St. Patrick's Day episode. So these are all within the last eight episodes that I've done on you know Journey with a Cinephile here. But that is all I really kind of wanted to say about this film. If you haven't seen this, I definitely recommend it. You can watch it on YouTube. It's been in public domain for a long time. I would kind of recommend, if you can, to pick up a DVD of it. I like the actual soundtrack they have with it. This last time I decided to watch it with this DJ, kind of did his own thing. There were times that I thought it was better than the soundtrack I'm used to for the movie, but it also didn't work in other parts for me. You know, it's definitely hit or miss. But as I'm saying, I'm going to send you over to one last musical break before I close out the show.
everybody for listening to journey with a cinephile a horror movie podcast this has been episode number 25 where i have recounted all of the horror films that i watched from 1920 as well as 1930 so now if you to close this out if you ever want to get in touch with me with any sort of feedback questions anything like that if you want to hit me up on email it is journey with a cinephile at gmail.com If you would like to read any of the reviews that were featured on this episode, you can do that at Reviews of the Dead, which is horrorreview.webnode.com. On Facebook, you can become friends with me at David Michigan Garrett Jr. That's an easy way where if you ever wanted to communicate with me there, and I also share all of my stuff through that venue. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it is Buckeye from Mish. Same sort of thing over on that. Letterboxd, I'm David OSU. On Instagram, David OSU87. And what I'm going to do is continue on with this journey through the aughts, where that next episode is probably going to be a little bit longer because everything that I watched this week is going to be featured on that one. And then I'm also going to have featured reviews of the 2020 release is going to be Vivarium, which I've already watched. So that will be one of the featured reviews. And then I also believe that I'm going to watch The Devil Bat starring Bela Lugosi. I think that's what it's called. So if I messed up on that, I do apologize. But I do think that is going to be the two featured reviews on that episode as I continue on, as I'm saying, with this journey that I'm going along. Well, I do want to thank you once again for listening. And I hope whatever you do today that you do it to your best and have a great day doing it. David Garrett Jr. signing off.